I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. But now, Ben, we're going to turn to looking specifically at maybe one of the more troubling or fascinating aspects of this, which is the impact on schooling and the city's million public school children. Indeed. And joining us now is Alex Zimmerman, who's a reporter for Chalkbeat New York, a great education-focused publication. Alex, you with us? Yep, I'm here. Thanks so much for having me. Welcome to the show, and thanks for taking the time to join us. I know it's a, a crazy time. How are you doing uh, personally overall? Doing well, yeah. I just I feel really lucky to have um, a job that I can mostly do from home and uh, feeling lucky uh, to still have a job at the moment. I know what my uh, yeah, and, my and, and folks, uh, folks who want to keep up to uh, speed on what's happening in the school system, um, either amid this crisis and the shift to remote learning or any other time, should, of course, be reading Chalkbeat regularly. Um, I guess before we get into a lot of the nitty gritty, um, just since you mentioned it, give give us and listeners just a little insight into sort of how you're doing your job these days. Um, you know, you obviously rely and your colleagues at Chalkbeat on really knowing what's going on with schools and teachers and students. Um, so what does that look like for you uh, amid the current circumstances? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's a little disorienting because we're really used to having some access to schools and really seeing what students and teachers are doing every day in their buildings. Um, so that shifted a little bit. I mean, we're, we're, we're really relying on, you know, sources that we've already built who can, you know, whose cell phone numbers we have, who we can call up and, and kind of get a firsthand sense of what sort of teaching and learning is looking like right now. Um, I have to say that despite the really massive shift that educators have been asked to pull off in a really short amount of time, a lot of them have, have still been super generous with their time and just sort of explain to us like what you know what online learning is looking like for them and what they're doing to try to get in touch with students who they're having trouble getting a hold of and um, you know even even parents who have been willing who are um, you know maybe facing their own employment challenges or their own technology challenges um, have have sort of in an extraordinary way been willing to open up their lives a little bit to us um, even even though we're asking a lot more questions about sort of what they're seeing and feeling, um, things that we might have in another circumstance been able to get a little bit better in person. Alex, from the beginning of the real emergency here, whether and how to close the schools and what to replace them with has been probably maybe the most fraught question. Uh, Chancellor Carranza has been part of most, if not all, of the mayor's daily briefings on this. Could you tell us from your reporting what the city says is going on in terms of how well online learning is going so far and what impression you're getting about whether that reflects rea reality or not. What is the overall picture you're getting from the city and from your work out in the field? Yeah, so I think the city has actually been relatively honest about the fact that this was not going to be a, a super smooth transition. Um, Lots of schools aren't super practiced in offering lessons remotely. Um, so this, they, they definitely knew going in that doing this was going to uh, be bumpy. Um, you know, they had three days of training for teachers last week. Uh, that is obviously not a lot of time to get folks up to speed and, and get everyone on the same page. And in a system where there are, you know, roughly 800, I'm sorry, 1,800 schools, there's just going to be like an enormous amount of variation. And I think we're seeing some of that variation play out. So we're seeing some teachers, I, you know, I talked to a, a school at, uh, or a teacher at P-TECH in Brooklyn, 
um, who is already well-versed in Google Classroom, who is already um, shifting some of his, you know, U.S. history assignments um, virtually in a pretty seamless way. Um, but I've also talked to parents who have definitely had the experience of, like, I still haven't really heard from my school or I don't really have technology access. Um, I've, you know, heard from folks who are concerned about what this is going to mean for students who get special education services. I think there's still lots of questions about what that's going to look like in this new paradigm. Um, lots of kids get various therapies that are, some, some of which are easier to do in person, some of which are like physical therapy, which is obviously much more challenging. And I think we're still very much in the early days of, of seeing how this is going to roll out. Um, but again, I, I think we are seeing some, some bright spots, but obviously lots of places where this is where folks are still just figuring this out. I'm glad you brought up the variation point because that's where I was going to go. I mean, it's almost impossible to talk about this writ large, right, for a million plus students in 1,800 schools, as you mentioned. Um, you know, one of the things, you know, I also think about is um, just the age differential. I mean, you have obviously high school students who, um, you know, are much more likely to be able to sort of get on uh, to the remote learning portal and, and engage with with what their teachers prepared. And then you have everything down to, uh, you know, pre-K is, is obviously, you know, been the mayor's signature education achievement, ramping that up to universal. And, um, you know, what happens for pre-K or kindergarten or first grade students, the youngest in the school system. Um, can you talk a little bit about those variations and, and your sense of what's been prepared for, uh, for that? I mean, reading some of your early reporting, one of the things that stood out the most to me is, you know, this idea of um, how much parents, of course, are are needing to be involved in the early, at least the early stages, if not all of this remote learning. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, and I would say a couple of things about that. One, I mean, I think you are seeing some efforts to engage even really young kids. Um, I've, I've been, I talked to a, um, a parent who is not quite pre-K, but elementary has elementary school kids. I was saying that one thing the, the school was trying to do was to just like do a daily Zoom meeting so the kids could just see each other um, and have some degree of like social interaction because one thing that can be really destabilizing for young kids is just like all of a sudden not seeing their friends or teachers every day. Um, I know that there had been some noise um, beginning to rumble from advocacy groups about feeling like this city hadn't done enough yet to really give clear guidance um, to pre-K providers, many of which aren't actually provided by the DOE itself, but are provided by nonprofit organizations. Um, so I think you're starting to see a little bit more of that now, and I think we're still waiting to see a little bit how that what, what that kind of instruction looks like. But I think you're exactly right. Like older high school kids are who are able to be more self-directed um, are having, I think, in general, an easier time sort of making this transition. I mean, I was also talking to a parent yesterday who has elementary school kids who was, um, you know, a, a, one of them, I actually think both of them might be um, dyslexic. And she was saying like, look, I mean, I, I spend a lot of time trying get them to get systemic reading instruction outside of school and I send them to these programs and I'm just it's just not going to be the same if I'm trying to do that with them like I'm not a trained reading specialist here um, and I think that's a really crucial question for kids especially who are just learning how to read like this is a really crucial developmental moment for them and so I think 
it's a really important question to, to sort of track how uh, how well the city is able to sort of get those kids on track and keep them there. Uh, and just so, and yeah, quickly, yeah. and just quickly on the on some of the differentiation here um, in terms of experience and such. I mean, even you know, it's, again, you know, there's almost no way to to paint broad strokes here. Um, you know, even among of course, high school or middle middle school students and families, there's huge socioeconomic differences. There's huge differences in access to um, devices and the internet. Can you say a little bit more about how the city is supposed to be managing some of that? Yeah, so the city has estimated that about 300,000 families don't have just the devices they need um, in order to make remote learning feasible. And they have begun uh, rolling out that technology to families. The, the city has said that it's uh, distributed about 175,000 computers and laptops and iPads and, and those sorts of things. Um, it, it's not 100% clear to me like where, those, where that estimate comes from and, and really how accurate it is, but I think it's fair to say that a lot of the, a lot of the divide here is definitely going to be between you know, families who are able to just sort of scrap together 200 bucks and buy a couple Chromebooks and families who aren't. Um, now, I will say that, like, in general, and this is like a whole other issue, is that remote learning in general is, is obviously not as effective as in-person learning. And there's a ton of research that suggests that this is just not going to be a, a great replacement for what teachers are doing in their classrooms every day. Um, so I think one potential danger here is that, you know, as you were saying, like low-income families who are struggling to get access to just the bare minimum technology they need to communicate with their schools are going to fall further behind here. Um, I don't think we know for sure exactly the magnitude of that and, and how that will play out, but I think that is something the city is concerned about. And I, I think it's also worth mentioning that the city has said that in the device distribution scheme they're doing, like they are prioritizing. So they're prioritizing um, students who live in temporary housing or students who are um, sort of from lower-income families. Um, so they are making some effort to prioritize um, students who uh, are least likely to have technology and maybe most in need of it. Um, at the same time, I mean, we're still talking, we're still hearing like plenty of reports from parents and teachers that they're filling out these uh Sort of forms that the city has sent out for people who need technology and despite filling them out and despite feeling like they're in a high priority group are, are still not receiving them i mean you know i know that we're only on day three here of remote learning um but i think those are the kinds of things that there's you're going to see more pressure on in terms of you know making sure that this rollout is actually happening yeah and it's interesting the the access issue is complicated by the other manifestations of this crisis. I mean, a lot of students who don't have home access to computers were using libraries, and of course, libraries are closed now too, and that's one of the reasons why CUNY has suspended its online learning in a lot of cases for the next week because uh, its own libraries and computer centers have been closed by the governor's order. Uh, Alex, I wanted to ask, uh, along the lines of the things you're talking about, has the city talked about what the goal of this effort is? I mean, obviously, most years, the goal is to get the kids to score threes and fours on the state tests and to meet certain very complex rubrics about what grade level is um, in the grade they're in. Is it realistic? Are they saying it's realistic to expect that that's where we're going to get if the kids are out all year? 
Um, is the is the goal merely to keep them where they are now? What what are they talked about in terms of the target that they're aiming for? Yeah, that's a really great question, and I don't think it's a it's a question that they've really answered clearly. Um, a lo- I think one one key point to make here is that one of the traditional yardsticks to even think about whether that's happening are the annual state tests that are offered each year for students in grades three through eight in um, reading, math, and science, and the state isn't going to do those this year. And next year, the tests are actually changing, so there, there, there won't really be, like, apples-to-apples comparisons to really gauge, like, district-wide learning for a couple more years. Um, so I think that's a super legitimate question about, like, how they're sort of thinking about what... Um, like what to aim for here. I mean, I think that this is like such a crisis environment that that they are just scrambling to keep things in motion in any way they can. Um, and so I, I I I would be surprised if they if there are like real tangible metrics about what to expect. I mean, they haven't like so far they haven't even told schools whether whether the course content that they are delivering to students should really count like should be graded should count toward credit like I, I don't think that those that even some of those basic questions about how this works at a school level have been answered let alone like what this looks like globally um, I mean another crucial question that I have and that I think lots of other folks have is just how many students are going to show up for remote learning um, like what is the mechanism to ensure that students are doing this in a sort of day in and day out way um, all of the ways that the city had traditionally calculated, like student attendance have kind of gone out the window. And so they're scrambling to just devise strategies for, for reporting whether students are even logging in or submitting assignments at all. Um, so yeah, I think it's a good question, but I don't think there's a clear answer to it yet. And I think part of this too, and the function of this is clearly, if explicitly or, or not, to keep kids connected during a, a really scary time, a health, scary time on the health front, on the economy front, a lot of people losing jobs and worried about uh, their ability to make the rent. And I think that, you know, one of the functions clearly is just to give students a chance to, to talk about that. I know my uh, teachers I know have, have experienced that already. But Alex, thinking down the road, I mean, you're a reporter. Um, in a few years' time, this is going to be in the rearview mirror someone will ask the question about whether this worked or not, which I know kind of goes to the goals question, but what do you think you will look at uh, as you do research in a year's time or two to find out if this kind of grand experiment succeeded given all the difficulties it's operating under and under the and the idea that the city didn't know it was going to have to do this? How will we measure whether or not the city did a, good, did a decent job or not? Yeah, I mean, I... I I worry a little bit that this is going to feel like a cop-out answer, um, but I I really hope that there are some like really smart researchers out there who are take, who are planning on taking advantage of the like somewhat natural experiment we're about to have between some pretty large urban school districts, some of which um, are doing kind of what New York is doing, which is like trying to do remote learning full steam ahead, and others which are not really doing that and have sort of backed off of like a large-scale remote learning strategy. And, and, and so I think there might be an opportunity to really get a sense of how this is playing out um, for students who might be similarly situated across different school districts. So I hope someone does that because I think it'll be super interesting. Um, I mean, there's always, you know, 
as a reporter, you know, the tools that I have to answer that question are going to inherently be a little bit more anecdotal. Um, and I think, you know, it's going to matter what parent and teacher perceptions of this are going forward. Um, and so I think we'll definitely be doing work at the school level to try to answer that question. But I think it's like in terms of gauging the health of the system um, and, and what then, if any, this makes in it, it's just going to be a, a super, super hard question. I mean, we will obviously, we obviously know that the kinds of things that, um, you know, s slowing down the schools or stopping them has on students. Um, we know from research that, um, you know, remote learning is likely to negatively impact student achievement. We know that, um, you know, financial hits to school districts often hits student achievement negatively. Um, these are all things that are likely to happen. Um, we know that when parents take economic hits, that often hurts student achievement. So there are all these sort of things that are sort of coalescing as a cocktail that are likely to be not great news. But I'd say the biggest X factor here is just like how long the schools are actually closed, like at least how long the school buildings are closed. Um, and I don't think we really have a clear answer to that yet. Like if this is a couple, it's going to matter a lot whether this is like a, a one month kind of thing or like a rest of the school year or into next school year kind of thing. Um, and just quickly on that, um, do we have a sense? Um, the mayor recently said basically the idea of reopening April 20th, which was the original sort of not a goal, I guess, or original guidepost he had given about, you know, reassessing basically as they, as they went along with that, with eyeing that. Um, that's pretty much out the window. Um, we don't really have a sense yet as to whether they're just pretty much already resigned to the fact that the rest of the school year is gone, do we? No, I, I don't think we know that. I mean, in, the mayor, as you mentioned, is like making noises that suggest that they that the rest of the school year is probably going to have to happen remotely. But yeah, I don't think we have a clear sense. And then, and then, lastly, Alex, um, and we thank you for the time. Um, just, just quickly, I, I feel like maybe we skipped over this too quickly. But um, do we know what DOE is saying to schools about sort of the requirements or the expectations about? how much um, they're supposed to be trying to sort of give to students, require from students? Um, you know, is there, is there expectation that they're sort of recreating a school day every day? Or what's the sort of, uh, are there any guideposts on that front? Um, you know, is it just, you know, try to prepare a bunch of um, uh, ad hoc schedules sort of that, that give students some semblance of schooling? Or is it more refined than that? I don't think it's more refined than that. And interestingly, the teachers union um, has made a really big deal of saying to their members, like, this isn't supposed to be like school, just like your regular school day that you're trying to convert to be online. Um, so they are, they, you know, the union is obviously involved in conversations about how all this is going to work. And um, I think the DOE has also uh, to its credit, like explicitly acknowledge that like this is going to play out differently at different schools, and like I haven't, you know, I haven't seen a ton of, of communications to principals or teachers that are like super strict mandates about like how you have to pull this off. I mean, I know that there's some like baseline things that seem to be pretty consistent across schools, including that they use like Google Classroom as like 
the platform. But, you know, the DOE has also said, like, if your school is already set up using something different, like, that's fine. Um, I think I think we'll sort of see in the coming days and weeks, like, the extent to which the DOE feels like it can try to manage how this plays out at individual schools. But I think you have to remember that, like, in New York City, the predominant par- paradigm for years, um, at least since the Bloomberg administration, has been that principals are kind of the CEOs of their buildings and just have, like, an, a, a, a fairly large amount of autonomy. Now, like, the de Blasio administration is known for um, its compliance, and principals always grumble about the number of mandates that come their way. But I think it's still worth acknowledging that, like, compared to some other places, like, principals still have a lot of discretion here about what this looks like. So the short answer to your question is no, I don't right. think it, the DOE is really saying, like, this is how it, it, it has to look. Understood. Thank you. Well, thank you, Alex Zimmerman from Chalkbeat New York, one of the reporters covering this extraordinary story. Thanks for taking some time out to be with us here on Max and Murphy. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Alex. Well, Ben, we come to the end of another show in the midst of this massive story. A quick final thought from you. Um, I, you know, most of the, most of what I really um, am focused on here is what Councilmember Lean talked about and what the governor um, seems to be most focused on, which is hospital capacity, ventilators, um, and really what happens as our healthcare and hospital system here in the city um, becomes more and more, um, you know, inundated and, and eventually at the point of potentially being overwhelmed. Um, you know, we've done a little coverage of this issue of ventilator access, um, and it's a really important one as well as uh, policies in place around triage and whether, um, you know, certain communities will be uh, left to bear more of the brunt uh, of this crisis than others. Really important watching. Uh, How about yourself? Exactly the same questions. I think that's where the rubber meets the road uh, most of the time and especially now following all those questions very closely and, uh, of course, also the economic impact, which will be devastating for many people, whether they get sick or not. But those are the kinds of stories and the kinds of questions and guests we'll be having in coming weeks here on Max and Murphy. Thank you so much for joining us. Ben Max from Gotham Gazette and Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. Thank you especially to Reggie Johnson, our engineer, for helping us to patch this together from remote locations using, uh, for us anyway, novel technology. Have a great week in the greatest city in the world. Mm-hmm.